Welcome to the Land of Goshen podcast. This is where you can hear the latest sermons from Goshen Presbyterian Church in Belmont, North Carolina, a congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America. For more information on Goshen Presbyterian Church, please visit GoshenPCA.com. That's GoshenPCA.com. Our reading this morning is 2 Samuel chapter 14. 2 Samuel chapter 14. Hear the word of the Lord. Now Joab, the son of Zeruiah, perceived that the king's heart was inclined toward Absalom. So Joab sent to Tekoa and brought a wise woman from there and said to her, Please pretend to be a mourner and put on mourning garments now and do not anoint yourself with oil, but be like a woman who has been mourning for the dead many days. Then go to the king and speak to him in this manner. So Joab put the words in her mouth. Now when the woman of Tekoa spoke to the king, she fell on her face to the ground and prostrated herself and said, Help, O king! The king said to her, What is your trouble? And she answered, Truly I am a widow, for my husband is dead. Your maidservant had two sons, but the two of them struggled together in the field, and there was no one to separate them. So one struck the other and killed him. Now behold, the whole family is risen against your maidservant. And they say, hand over the one who struck his brother, that we may put him to death for the life of his brother whom he killed, and destroy the heir also. Thus they will extinguish my coal which is left, so as to leave my husband neither name nor remnant on the face of the earth. Then the king said to the woman, go to your house, and I will give orders concerning you. The woman of Tekoa said to the king, O my lord, the king, the iniquity is on me and my father's house, but the king and his throne are guiltless. So the king said, Whoever speaks to you, bring him to me, and he will not touch you any more. Then she said, Please let the king remember the Lord your God, so that the avenger of blood will not continue to destroy. Otherwise they will destroy my son. And he said, As the Lord lives, not one hair of your son shall fall to the ground. Then the woman said, Please let your maidservant speak a word to my lord the king. And he said, Speak. The woman said, Why then have you planned such a thing against the people of God? For in speaking this word, the king is as one who is guilty, and that the king does not bring back his banished one. For we will surely die and are like water spilled on the ground which cannot be gathered up again. Yet God does not take away life, but plans ways so that the banished one will not be cast out from him. Now the reason I have come to speak this word to my lord the king is that the people have made me afraid. So your maidservant said, let me now speak to the king. Perhaps the king will perform the request of his maidservant. For the king will hear and deliver his maidservant from the hand of the man who would destroy both me and my son from the inheritance of God. Then your maidservant said, Please let the word of my lord the king be comforting. For as the angel of God, so is my lord the king to discern good and evil. And may the Lord your God be with you. Then the king answered and said to the woman, Please do not hide anything from me that I am about to ask you. And the woman said, Let my lord the king please speak. So the king said, Is the hand of Joab with you in all this? And the woman replied, 
As your soul lives, my lord the king, no one can turn to the right or to the left from anything that my lord the king has spoken. Indeed, it was your servant Joab who commanded me, and it was he who put all these words in the mouth of your maidservant. In order to change the appearance of things, your servant Joab has done this thing. But my lord is wise, like the wisdom of the angel of God, to know all that is in the earth. Then the king said to Joab, Behold now, I will surely do this thing. Go therefore, bring back the young man Absalom. Joab fell on his face to the ground, prostrated himself, and blessed the king. Then Joab said, Today your servant knows that I have found favor in your sight, O my lord the king, and that the king has performed the request of his servant. So Joab arose and went to Geshur and brought Absalom to Jerusalem. However, the king said, Let him turn to his own house, and let him not see my face. So Absalom turned to his own house and did not see the king's face. Now in all Israel was no one as handsome as Absalom, so highly praised. From the sole of his foot to the crown of his head, there was no defect in him. When he cut the hair of his head, and it was at the end of every year that he cut it, for it was heavy on him, so he cut it, he weighed the hair of his head at two hundred shekels by the king's weight. To Absalom there were born three sons, and one daughter whose name was Tamar. She was a woman of beautiful appearance. Now Absalom lived two full years in Jerusalem and did not see the king's face. Then Absalom sent for Joab to send him to the king, but he would not come to him. So he sent again a second time, but he would not come. Therefore he said to his servants, See, Joab's field is next to mine, and he has barley there. Go and set it on fire. So Absalom's servant set the field on fire. Then Joab arose, came to Absalom at his house, and said to him, Why have your servants set my field on fire? Absalom said to Joab, Behold, I sent for you, saying, Come here, that I may send you to the king, to say, Why have I come from Gesher? It would be better for me to still to be there. Now therefore, let me see the king's face, and if there is iniquity in me, let him put me to death. So when Joab came to the king and told him, he called for Absalom. Thus he came to the king and prostrated himself on his face to the ground before the king. And the king kissed Absalom. I love to watch history videos on YouTube. I've discovered if you know your sources and make sure you're looking at reputable folk, you can find a lot of cool information on there. I, mean, I like documentaries, and these are some good documentaries. And a couple people have had the brilliant idea. They've realized, you know, people like me, we never really grow up. I still love cartoons. So they're like, don't make an actual documentary. Just animate the whole thing and narrate it. So I'm like, cool, history with cartoons. This is great. But it's serious historical topics. They're covering war, but they can do it in a humorous uh, way. One was about a whole series of videos on Otto von Bismarck. And it's several times they would say, but Bismarck had a plan. Bismarck always had a plan. And that was their running gag. Well, one I watched recently was the history of, of all things, tuberculosis. Tuberculosis. I was interested because I knew that was a major disease in the 1800s, and it turns out it's been following us for all of human history. 
Wherever you find people, you find traces of tuberculosis. And we only found the cure recently in human history. We do have a cure. In fact, we have several cures, but we have not eradicated the disease. It still exists. And so at the end of the video, instead of sort of saying, well, and that ties into another historical event we'll pick up later, this time the video actually said, and this is why, and it came to the present, and it began to discuss why it's important that people undergoing treatment for tuberculosis take all their medicine. They said because the nature of the disease is such that if you don't kill it completely, it comes back. You have to destroy every single germ in the body of the patient or they will multiply and they get sick again. It is a scorched earth policy. They said the problem is people feel better long before their treatment of medicine is over. And so here was this history video now coming in to a present tense role and advocating, look, if you've got it and if you're being treated for it, take all the pills. It's got to be gone or it will come back. Well, in the spiritual world, there is something that is very much like tuberculosis, and that is sin. If you don't totally eradicate sin, you're going to continue to experience its effects. And of course, we all know that in this life, we can't totally eradicate sin. And so we do continue to experience its effects. And this passage opens up by showing us an uncomfortable truth. It opens by showing us the principle that sin still dwells among us. Now Joab, the son of Zeruiah, perceived that the king's heart was inclined toward Absalom. Sin still dwells among us. David desired reconciliation with Absalom. He was still more concerned about his family than he was concerned with carrying out justice. He also continued to tolerate murderers, not only in Israel, but among his own family members. Remember, this all is coming out of Amnon's rape of Tamar, not Absalom's daughter, Absalom's sister. He named this daughter after the sister. Absalom has murdered Amnon in response. I mean, Amnon had it coming. He should have been executed by the king, but the king failed. Absalom has now taken vengeance into his own hands, which he had no right to do. So now he has answered rape with murder, and now he is worthy of death. But again, the king will not act. And instead of wanting to carry out justice, which is the king's role, his heart goes out to his son. Now, I can't blame him as a father for caring about his son. But he is the king, and there are responsibilities that come with that position. He must uphold Righteousness. 
and he has refused to do so. Sin still dwelt in this king's heart. And we face the same problem. Even after we come to Christ, we still have a sin nature, and too often we tolerate sin among God's people. It dwells within us. We tolerate the sinful desires, those desires that go against God's will. And not only that, but when we see sin in others, we don't correct it, we don't rebuke it, we allow it. We don't deal with it. This fact explains many of the problems we face. I know that in life, a lot of troubles come by external factors. I've read the book of Job. I know that things can happen that are not punishment, that are not even discipline. It's just you're a sinner living in a sinful world and stuff happens. That's life. I mean, I'm not sitting here wringing my hands wondering, what did we do that our air conditioner would leak and cause our paint to fall off of our ceiling? Or what did I do to cause my button to fall off of my jacket in the middle of a sermon just now? <laughs> I'm not worrying about those things. I'm not wringing my hands over it because I know it's a broken system, and in a broken system, things break. We broke it by sin, so generally it's our fault. But it's not a particular sin that's led to it. However, we cannot overlook the fact that our sin does have consequences. And very often when we are facing problems, we know it's because we did it. When I'm having a bad day, I can blame everybody. It's my wife's fault. It's my kid's fault. It's this truck's fault. No, it's your fault because you woke up this morning in a bad mood and instead of saying, I will not give in to anger today, you have let everything get under your skin. If you were in a good mood, you'd still have these problems, but they wouldn't look as big and you wouldn't be irritated. This is your problem. James 1.14, but each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. Our own hearts lead us into trouble. The challenges the church as a whole faces are often the result of the sins of members and leaders, especially when those sins are tolerated among us. Acts 20, 29-30 I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, men will arise speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. Paul knew the leaders in the church in Ephesus were going to have people who were hypocrites, who would lead the church in the wrong direction. And when we look throughout church history and when we look at the church today, when the church has a scandal, when the church has a problem, when the church is going down the wrong path, you trace it back to its root and almost always it's sin. Sin that has been tolerated, that has not been rooted out and dealt with, that has not been confronted with the truth of God's word. That's the principle this passage gives us, that sin remains in our hearts and in our midst. 
It goes on to show us how sin operates, both in the lives of individuals and the life of God's people as a whole. The first thing we see is that our sinful nature is ruled by its own desires rather than by God's word. As we've already noted, David is willing in this passage to make a judgment that contradicts God's word. Now, I know what you're saying. You're saying, but wait, they were going to cut off the air. And I thought in the Old Testament it was very important to keep a house alive. That's true. I've read that in commentators' notes. I've read the Torah. I know how important it was. But I also know that God said if a family sinned, he would cut off that house. And I've read the book of Ruth, where you remember at the end, he takes off the sandal and he gives it to Boaz and says, yeah, you can have the land and you can marry Ruth. What's that guy's name who did that, who took off the shoe? Does anyone know his name? No, you don't know his name. Because he refused to do the duty of a brother. And in Israel, in the law of God, it was written that if a man refused to take his brother's wife, take his sandal off of him and call the name of his house the house of him who had his sandal removed. He cut the name off from Israel. And even in our copies of the scriptures, he is remembered as the man with no name and no shoe. So God was perfectly willing, if you broke the law bad enough, to cut your line and bring it to an end. The penalty for murder was death, period. One of my professors pointed out it is the only law in the law of God that didn't have a downgrade. Almost any other crime, you could pay a fine or take some other punishment, not murder. Penalty, death, period. Blood for blood, the Noahic covenant. He who sheds man blood by man, his blood shall be shed. But David seems to be ruled by sentiment. He doesn't have the guts. There's a woman on the floor in front of him and he says, I, look, I'll take care of you. I'll, I'll deal with this. The woman acknowledges, you are innocent, may the sin be on me, my house. She's saying, I know what you're doing, O king, is wrong. Our sin nature points us to goals and means that are not God's. And they are not his revealed will for us. Like Satan in the garden, our sin nature wants us to believe that we can make a destiny for ourselves better than what God has prepared for us. David is thinking in this moment, I can do something better, wiser, than what God in his law has set forth. To continue following God, we must learn to deny sin. We need to spend time in God's word, both in reading and in studying it. There is a difference. To read the word is to read it like you read any other book. You're reading it to put it in your mind, but you're not going very in depth. That's important. I know some people who all they do is study the word. You've got to read it because it is a fairly large book. If you don't spend time reading it, you will never get through all of it. You've got to read it just to get it in there. 
And it will do you good. The more times you read it, the deeper you'll go anyway. But you do need to also study it. Some people read it and never go deeper. You've got to slow down on some passages and ask yourself, what is this about? By the way, the two key questions to ask yourself if you're studying the Word of God, this will give you direction. One, why is it important enough to be in the Bible? It's a fairly large book by, compared to other books, but compared to the massiveness of God, His infinity, and the sheer size of the problem of sin, it's actually a relatively short book compared to what God could have said. So anything that is in here must be important. Why is it here? Second question, how does it point me to Christ? Because the second question gives you a big part of the answer to the first. It's here to point you to Jesus. How does it point me to Him? When you can answer those questions, you have studied the passage. And you're looking for any information that gives you those answers. By the way, little key, the answer is usually somewhere else in Scripture if you can't find it in the passage. Look for where, where it's quoted, where it's referred to, what comes before it, what comes after it, etc. But that's not the point of the sermon, that's just a little tip. We need to read God's Word, we need to study it, because we can't follow God's revealed will unless we're familiar with His revelation. You can't do what God says and avoid what He says to avoid unless you know what He says and what He says to avoid. That's just simple. We need to watch our hearts and our minds when our feelings and thoughts lead us to doubt God's Word. We need to recognize that fact, confess our error to God, and seek strength to stand in His truth. You know when your mind or your heart begin to whisper things to you that aren't so. Let me make it Southern. That ain't so. And when you hear your heart or your mind whispering an ain't-so thought, you take it straight to God and you tell Him, Lord, my old sin nature is leading me in a way I don't need to go. I confess that my heart and my mind want this to be true and not what you've said to be true. May your Spirit give me strength to believe in you and not myself. We need to transform our thinking and feeling by confronting sin's lies with God's truth. When you have those thoughts and you confess and you pray for strength, you can quote scripture to yourself. If you know the place in the Bible where it says the truth that the lie is trying to oppose, read that passage. Read it out loud. Put it on a note card. Memorize the verse. Get it deeper and deeper into your heart. By the way, this repetition of Scripture, when the Bible talks about meditation, that's what it means. Not sitting with your legs crossed, humming to yourself. It's reciting Scripture over and over again to get it deeper into your mind, deeper into your heart. Did you know that if you repeat a thought, it actually changes the structure of your brain. Did you know that? They've proven this. They've done tests. When you repeat Scripture to yourself, your mind is being transformed, and even your physical brain is being rewired to work 
according to the pattern of the Word of God. Our sinful nature is dangerous not only because of its influence, but because of the influence of its allies. See, the sin remaining in us opens us up to the influence of the world. David had a tendency to tolerate murderers in his family. Absalom he tolerated out of love, but there was another relative named Joab who plays a prominent role in this passage. Joab was twice a murderer. He had also killed people, people that he was not supposed to kill. This wasn't war, this was peace. And he murdered them. And David lacked the confidence to execute Joab because Joab was head of the army. And David apparently was like, well, he's a murderer, but I need him to run the army. He could have had faith and said, you know what, I'll execute you. God will send me somebody else. It'll be fine. Maybe he'll just let me run the army myself. But he didn't do it. And because he tolerated that sin in his midst, Joab was going to lead him down a path that would end in disaster. Our sinful nature is only too willing to listen to those voices who affirm its desires and actions. Because let's face it, we all love people who agree with us, right? You say something, somebody goes, I agree with that. You're like, I knew I liked you. That's a smart man right there. We get in our little echo chamber. That's what's happening now. David's heart is going out towards Absalom. Even though Absalom's an unrepentant murderer, he wants him. And Joab, the murderer, he wants Absalom too. Because Absalom, well, we'll get to this in a minute, but it appears a lot of people thought Absalom ought to be the next king. And Joab's like, ooh, this would be a good time to get in good with both the current ruler and the guy I think is the next ruler. I'll be the man who brings back Absalom and David will love me and Absalom will love me and my job is secure for two more reigns. This is going to be good stuff. And so he goes to David through this woman and basically says, David, wouldn't it be good to bring back Absalom? And that sinful desire in David is hearing this, and he's like, it would be good, right? Yeah, yeah. Joab thinks so, the wise woman thinks so, and yeah, yeah, the people think so, yeah, this is a good idea, let's do this. Let's bring back Absalom. We listen to the world because it's repeating our own sinful heart. As individual believers, we have to monitor the voices we're listening to. Are we listening to those who follow God and want us to follow Him as well? Or are we listening to those who want this world and all it has to offer? Think about the books, the TV shows, the music that you let into your life. Which way are they pointing you? because you will listen to them. As a church, we have to have the same care. 
Is our goal the glory of Christ? And are we taking advice from those who share that goal? Or have we adopted the advice, the goals and methods of the business world whose goal is greater prestige and profit for self? Does Goshen want to grow? Yes, not gonna lie about that. We're a small church, we'd love to have more members. But we don't wanna grow for our own sake because that's pointless. If Goshen grows for the glory of Goshen, then Goshen is harmful, not helpful. We want unbelievers to be brought to Christ. And we want the privilege and the blessing of discipling them. If anything other than that is our motivation, we are doomed to fail. If that is our motivation, if we really stop caring about how many join and just say, Lord, just give us somebody who needs the gospel. Bring them in. Give us the chance to tell them about Jesus and to shepherd them for Him. That will be blessed. Checking this influence on our lives is important because if left unchecked, this influence can even result in the world having limited dominance among God's people. Absalom has been introduced as David's son, and now notice how he's talked about. He's good-looking, got that long, thick hair, no blemish in his body. This is a model. This is a good-looking man. Why is that important? Who else in the Bible was noted for his appearance? Saul, the bad king of Israel. This is a king according to human standards. And not only is he introduced as a human standard king, but he is a tyrant. Joab, come to me. Well, apparently Joab don't like Absalom anymore. He's figured out the king hasn't talked to him in two years. He is apparently not the heir. I need to put my political eggs in a different basket. Joab, come here. No. Joab, come here. No. Light his field on fire. That'll get him. He'll come running then. That is not a good thing to do. That is how a tyrant thinks. I'll get my way one way or another if I have to twist your arm till you squeal. You'll bend to my will. This is a false king. Ever since Satan fell, he has wanted one thing to rule in the place of God. Ever since man fell, Satan has worked to put someone in charge of God's people who is not God's anointed. And in the new covenant, we have a name for this phenomenon. What is it called? The spirit of Antichrist. We're not even in the New Testament, and it's already at work. 1 John 4, 3. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, of which you have heard that it is coming, and now it is already in the world. Sometimes we do see Antichrist forces get the upper hand. Sometimes they get the upper hand 
for a period of time. The papacy misled the masses so completely that the motto of the old southern church was post tenebrae lux, taken from the Reformation, after darkness, light. So dark, so withheld was the gospel from the people. At the same time, many American churches were staunch defenders of slavery and segregation. And today, many churches advocate for abortion and the sexual revolution. We get misled. We trade the teachings of God for something else. We uphold the world's standard, not God's standard. Sin is not something to be taken lightly, either as individuals or as congregations. Because when individuals don't keep watch over their lives, they give into sin and the dominance of the world to the point that you can't tell the difference between them and the world. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, oh yeah, there's some people, they say they're Christians, but boy, they go out and they sin. I know those hypocrites. What about the ones that are nice hypocrites? Those are the dangerous ones. They go to church every Sunday. They may even pay their tithes. They're nice. They don't cuss. They don't drink, smoke, nor chew, nor go with girls who do. But if you ask them what is their goal, you don't hear a lot about Jesus in their plans. Well, I'm going to go to a good college and I'm going to get a good job and have me a good family and a good house and a good neighborhood and I'm going to get me the good cable TV package so I can watch the good football team, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And you start to realize every one of your goals is indistinguishable from what a secular person wants. Where's Jesus in your plan? Now, I'm not saying it's bad to have a good house. I'm not condemning you. If you've worked hard and you've got the money and you put some good shelter over your head, that's a blessing from the Lord. Be thankful. But if that's what you're living for, I got bad news for you. You've been lulled to sleep. Churches can also be dominated by the world. They may reject outright liberalism, but be ruled by the great desire for the two ends. Do you know what the two ends are? Nickels and noses. There are churches, all they think about, bigger offering and more people in attendance. Count the nickels, count the noses. That is the world's desire. Those are the metrics of human glory. We should desire for Christ to be glorified. Don't be fooled, though. You see, sin never has total dominance, and its power cannot last forever. This picture looks bleak, but it's not the whole picture, because our sin never has the upper hand over God. You may be saying, where is that in this passage? Well, remember what I said about having to know what came before and what comes after? David committed sin with Bathsheba, and what did God say? What did he promise was going to happen? You have taken another man's wife, therefore your wives will be taken from you in the sight of all the people under the sun. Who fulfilled that promise? Absalom, during the upcoming rebellion. This is foundation. God is using David's sin and Absalom's sin to carry out 
his purposes of disciplining David that his sin may be driven away from him. Joab is not outthinking God to replace David. Absalom is not smarter than God and going to take David's place. They are actually serving what God wants them to do, even in their rebellion. God is sovereign over all things, even the wickedness of the world and the sin of His people. And that is good news for us. God has promised to never abandon us. He will therefore never allow sin to grow in us to such a degree that it will break our relationship with Him. Hear me. If you're a believer in Christ, I know sin still dwells in you, but know this, God will never let a true Christian ever sin so big that it would break His relationship with Jesus Christ. That cannot happen. John 6.39, this is the will of him who sent me, that of all that he has given me, I lose nothing, but raise it up on the last day. It is God's will for Jesus Christ that he not lose one sheep. God has promised to sanctify us we can be assured that He will continue to break the power of sin in us, that we may be more holy and better reflect His glory. 2 Corinthians 3.18 But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord the Spirit. God did not leave David in his sin, but disciplined him to take that sin away. God has promised to protect us. The sin of the world is under his control. He will not allow his people to be overcome by the world's schemes. We may be persecuted, but we will not be overcome. Matthew 16, 18. I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. Don't you ever shake in your boots before the world. Don't you ever fear when the world says, we will overcome Christianity, we're on the right side of history, bah humbug. Every opponent of the church has thought they were on the right side of history. They're dead, we're still here. They think they've got it made. We stand in Christ by faith. We can literally charge hell with a bucket of water. They have no hope because it's not our strength, it's His strength. The Christian is like the little kid on the playground. You can punch me in the face all you want. I, all I got to do is look at you and go, my daddy can beat up your daddy. Furthermore, I know my daddy. He's going to beat up your daddy. So you better stop. God has promised to establish the kingdom of Christ throughout the world. No power on earth nor among the fallen angels can stop God's plans. In fact, they can only help to further them. 
albeit unwittingly. Acts 2.23, this man delivered over by the predestined or predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. The wickedest sin ever committed, the murder of God. And it was for our salvation. The devil stooped as low as he could go. And, oh man, I love it. The devil's like, I finally get to strike the actual image of God. A perfect man. The Son of God incarnate. And I get to put him on a cross. And God says, you fool. Now he's cursed. And I'm going to pour out all the wrath that my people earned on him. And now all those people are forgiven and purchased by his blood. And you, devil, you led mankind into sin. You led them under my curse and my wrath. And now it's gone. Now there is no curse for my people. There is no wrath for my people. You killed Jesus and now death is dead. You insane moron. You have assured your own defeat. Nothing can stop God from overcoming and building the kingdom of Christ. And someday sin will no longer trouble the people of God because one day, just as assuredly as he walked out of his own tomb, which he did, and just assuredly as he ascended into heaven, which 500 witnesses assure us he did, he is going to come back down out of heaven. And he is going to glorify his people. He will cast the sin out of us forever. And in soul and in body we shall be made like him in his humanity. For we shall see him even as he is. And he will gather the world and separate the sheep from the goats. And there will be no sinner among his people ever again. They will not inhabit this earth anymore. But will be consigned to that lake of fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Those who trust in Jesus will then enjoy eternal peace and fellowship with him. For no sin will stand between us and him. No curse already, but in that day not even fatherly displeasure. Not even the hint of disappointment. For we will live in perfect communion with God. This peace, this fellowship, and this freedom from sin can be yours when you trust in Christ. He died to give this to you. He has come to destroy the works of the devil. You know sin kills, and it brings the displeasure and the discipline of God. Christ has come to give you life, and to give it to you abundantly. Receive Christ, look to Him, and find forgiveness and freedom, and if you already belong to Him, restoration today.
Let's go to the Lord our God in prayer. We hope this sermon has been helpful to you. If you would like more information about the gospel of Jesus Christ or about Goshen Presbyterian Church, please contact us using the website goshenpca.com where you can find our email address as well as our phone number. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram by searching for Goshen PCA. Please subscribe to this podcast and feel free to share the good news of Jesus Christ by sharing these episodes.